Alright, so hello everyone and welcome back to Kava J Screening Room, a podcast centered around cinema, the industry, and the future. I'm your host, uh, Kava Jolinas, and not too long of an episode today. Honestly, it's um just a bit of talking about a new movie and talking a little bit about a genre that I'm not the biggest fan of, but I do think that there are a lot of movies that are worth recommending in this genre. Um, if you didn't see the title, I'm going to be talking about Kristen Stewart Spencer today. And uh, well, I guess it's not Kristen Stewart's because she didn't direct it, but she is the name most commonly associated with it as she gives an incredible performance that I will sink into in just a few minutes. And then I'm going to run through a, a few biopics that I think are worth your time in a genre that is plagued by movies that A, try to condense someone's entire life into a short amount of time, B, try to be quirky to show that they're not a biopic when in the end they still are, or C, is just pretty shameless Oscar bait, which I think we are getting a lot of lately. Um, and I'll get into that in a bit. But first, Pablo Lorraine's new film, Spencer, is finally here. It's had a lot of hype going into this uh, past weekend, and I don't think that the box office return, I think it was $2 million this weekend, really signifies that because that's a pretty low number. But this is trying to pander to an art house crowd that hasn't entirely returned back to the movie theaters yet. And it was kind of a big leap putting it in so many theaters at one time. Even so, box office aside, because judging the movie here, not its potential money-making opportunities, I just want to dig into a little bit about what Spencer is about and why I found it to be very effective, even though I think it will subvert a lot of expectations going into it, especially because of the nature of Princess Diana's story and how much is known about her and how curious of a subject she is to explore on screen. As as many people probably know, The Crown is obviously a very famous Netflix series who I think is doing a Diana season if they haven't already. I'm not entirely sure. I don't watch the show. Um, but there were just photos of Elizabeth Debicki on set um, in Diana's famous black dress. But basically, Spencer, to put it broadly, is directed by Pablo Lorraine, which I've mentioned, uh, written by Stephen Knight, who has written... I believe 2013 or 2014's Locke with Tom Hardy. It was an early A24 movie. Um, very fascinating film about a man driving in his car and his entire life is unraveling. Um, and then, I don't know if this is his most recent movie, but it is a standout. It is called Serenity with Matthew McConaughey and um, Anne Hathaway. This is probably one of the weirdest movies of the past five years in a pretty bad way. It's a terrible movie, but... It's one of those scripts where I feel like the director thought he knew exactly what he was doing and thought he was coming up with something that's really, really interesting and creative. And it plays out really, really dumb and corny instead. So do not watch Serenity. And because of that, I've always kind of figured Knight to be a bit of a uh-oh figure, as in especially adapting a project of this magnitude where there was so much hype, even from the initial casting announcement of Kristen Stewart as Princess Diana. Um, just a bit worrisome to see that maybe he wouldn't adapt it right or it would just get lost in translation. And thankfully, Spencer does not. So just a rough plot summary. It's basically set on the Christmas weekend in um, the early 1990s, capturing three days in the life of Diana in order to emphasize kind of how she differs from her society as well as her falling or crumbling marriage with her husband. Um, and it right from the start emphasizes this idea of the royal family's traditions and how stilted they are compared to Diana's kind of wanting to break free and actually be able to be a mother and a human being. 
and that that kind of sets the tone for the entire movie the best way i think to describe it is a fantasy horror movie which is not what i was expecting at all there's a mix of surreal dream sequences uh there's scenes that we don't know if they're imaginary or real even though a lot of it is up for metaphorical interpretation as well as just the idea of a haunted house it's a very scary not even in the fact that it's like dark and crusty is a weird word but i guess i'll use it here but the fact that it's this giant mansion and there's only like nine or ten people who really are being served in it yet there's so much unnecessary space and all these floors and rooms and even so we never really get to see the full house we're very strictly confined to the rooms where um the characters are confined to especially diana who's trapped in this house trying to get out trying to be with her children and not have to deal with any of this stuff but obviously has to follow and kind of sink in to all of these very odd traditions that dehumanize her and there's this repeated aspect right from the opening scene which captures this sign in the uh, palace's kitchen saying they can always hear you and that's emphasized in every one of her actions and kind of reaffirms this as a really unsettling horror movie everything she's doing Lorraine does an excellent job of making it feel like she's being watched and she is being spectated which she is obviously because we're watching her on screen but you can kind of feel the burning eyes of everyone in the palace around her and nothing she does feels like it can be actually hers until the second half of the movie where she starts to reclaim things for herself um, the more I talk about it, honestly, the more fascinating it is. And I think it is a bit slow and it's definitely a slow burning film that some people might be a little turned off by at the beginning. But the way it gets you thinking about how the story is told and the little specifics of the way Knight chooses to write the script is just very fascinating. I would say not all of it works. There are some narrative swings, especially in the second half, that feel a bit shoved in and not as realized as certain effects in the first half do but at the same time the meticulousness that's just present within this entire movie is so interesting there's one scene um i think it was in the trailer of diana and charles standing at a pool table as charles is instructing her to just settle down and blend in and not call attention to herself and everything is so perfectly set up in that room except diana kind of playing with a pool ball on the table and even just knowing that like one little thing is out of place is really unsettling and i know i'm using unsettling a lot but that is the best way to describe this movie and i feel like that just goes to show how much attention is crafted onto the little details it's obviously set pretty much in a select few settings the confines of the house are rarely left only i think briefly in the middle a tiny bit at the beginning and then the end but you never really know if she's going to escape and i think that's the strongest aspect of spencer is that it really buys into the fantasy aspect of the script and does it in a way that while has historical accuracies obviously is very very much a fable of a true tragedy and that is how it is described right at the beginning of the movie before the movie even starts if i'm not mistaken um so I would honestly recommend Spencer. I think that it's a very interesting experiment. And to wrap things up, I do want to talk about Kristen Stewart because I'm a big Kristen Stewart fan. I, I actually, as we've learned with the Twilight episodes, I have a certain respect slash enjoyment for the Twilight movies that is, I don't, I don't even know if it's shameful to admit anymore because those movies are kind of going through their own little renaissance. But um, I really like the cast and I, 
I was um, joking with a friend that I saw Spencer with that kind of everyone from these franchises are thriving right now. Dakota Johnson and Jamie Dornan are both doing their thing. Um, Dakota Johnson, this is from Fifty Shades of Grey, obviously, but Dakota Johnson is going to be um, in The Lost Daughter, the new Maggie Gyllenhaal movie, and apparently that's incredible. And then Jamie Dornan is in a film that releases tomorrow, actually, called Belfast, uh, Kenneth Branagh's new movie, and he gives an incredible performance in it. Um, I might talk about the movie in the future. I do have some thoughts, but he's definitely one to watch. And then at the same time, I think everyone besides Taylor Lautner, because I don't know where he went, but obviously Robert Pattinson is killing it. He's Art House King. He's the Batman in a few months, which is insane to think about. Looks good. I'm excited for that. Um, And then Kristen Stewart here has proved time and time again that she's a very good actress and kind of can act in a variety of different ways. Obviously, her accent is incredible, but she can really capture the entire command of her character and can truly show the unraveling, both mentally and physically, of this weekend on Diana's character. And I think that's really what is able to sell a lot of the script, especially there's one scene that happens early in the movie that involves a certain dinner table scene that I don't want to spoil because this has not been a spoiler-filled discussion Um, but her, I think that's the best showcase of how she acts in this movie is that she does, she's not afraid to go the extra step and it works absolutely perfect in a movie that is a bit surrealist like this. So that is Spencer. I would honestly recommend it. I don't know how long it's going to be in theaters based off of its box office performance this week. Um, and I'm also very curious to see how it does at, um, the Oscars and the BAFTAs because I do think the script is very well written and I think that there are a lot of technical categories that I think this excels in. Obviously, Johnny Greenwood, um, shout out to Radiohead. Kid Amnesia just came out. Um, Great album or great rehash of two great albums. But Johnny Greenwood's score is absolutely fantastic and is probably the cherry on top of this horror movie feel because of the unsettling use of violins and kind of like achy music that feels out of place in any other storytelling approach but feels perfectly in sync with how knight and lorraine have crafted this story so i'm hoping it will do pretty well i think kristen stewart is unless crazy things happen within the next few months and i feel like most of the movies that are in contention for the oscars have already premiered at film festivals and gotten some reception and maybe we'll do an oscars uh anticipation episode in the future just because there's a lot coming out in november as well october is obviously a big month but november is another very big month. I mean, even The Power of the Dog, which is uh, Jane Campion's new movie that I've talked about a little bit on the New York Film Festival episode, is coming out in theaters next week, which kind of ushers in Netflix's slate, but I'm getting distracted. Anyway, I think that Kristen Stewart is most likely a lock for Best Actress. Um, If she wins, we have yet to see, and that will depend on how the award season goes, how the campaigning goes, but her performance is awesome and really sells the movie. So, the biopic is a very interesting genre. Obviously, Spencer does not... It is a biopic, but it's one of those biopics that's very focused on a certain set of events to represent a person's entire life or career, which there are a lot of biopics like that, honestly. Some of which I'm about to mention in a little bit. But I think Spencer works in that it subverts an expectation of a biopic and... Again, not to sound like a broken record, but it's very steeped in fantastical elements in ways that a lot of biopics that come out these days are not. Um, And even with 
the Oscars biopics have just been on the rise recently. And I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing because a lot of these biopics that are coming out are not very memorable. For example, uh, Respect, the Aretha Franklin biopic just came out, I think, three months ago in August and was not very memorable. And similarly, The United States versus Billie Holiday, another film that feels like came out years ago, but came out in 2021, um, was released in February. And none of these movies have really made a big impact. I think Respect was released at a very odd time where the, the crowd to see a biopic is usually more of an older crowd compared to some of the movies that have been successful since the box office has begun its rebound as in Venom or any Marvel movie. So I don't, it was released at a very odd time, but movies like Billie Holiday, I have not heard anything talked about. And I think that's the problem with biopics is that by trying to condense so much of someone's life into a movie that eventually you can't make a movie that's much longer than three hours or and i don't think any of these biopics use that length but it's very very difficult to make a super long movie about a person's life without just making it a miniseries instead which i think has been the reasoning for my general dislike towards biopics recently but they do propel a lot of oscar fame obviously renee zellweger absolutely destroyed the award circuit for her portrayal of judy garland and I feel like every Oscars is always a threat of a biopic winning best picture. And, you know, I don't know if this will be the year because I don't know if there's any big biopic that has that momentum, but they're just very Oscar baity and it's disappointing, but not all of them are that bad. There are some very good biopics and this next list that I'm going to go through, which is six biopics that I would recommend are not necessarily the only good biopics in the subgenre that would be insane if there were only six good biopic uh films that at least i've seen but i think there's six movies that kind of subvert the expectation of what a biopic is which just to even start when i think of biopic i think of trying to capture someone's entire life and just relay who they were what they did and on some levels sometimes their morals and what their emotions meant for how they acted in life but that's that feels very rare too. That's not something that's covered in a lot of stereotypical biopics. So these six biopics was meant to be a list of five, was cut down to a list of four, and is now still a list of four, but there are two for um, two of my points. There are no particular order, but one of these movies, and I will mention, is one of my favorite movies of all time. So I guess I'll start with that, honestly, because this one should take the shortest amount of time because I think out of these movies they might be the most popular so first i want to mention obviously the social network which is one of my favorite movies of all time as well as the wind rises which i don't want to spend too much time talking about because i've talked about it on the pod in the past you can check out the ghibli episode that was released in may if you want to hear more about the wind rises but just for the social network there's honestly not much to be said that hasn't already been said it is the ultimate at least for me the ultimate collision of what a biopic should be it's rapid paced obviously david fincher's directing aaron sorkin's writing it which is just an incredible do and they always make magic together and it's also just the greatest villain backstory especially given how its themes are so so evident today just in the way businesses ran and the idea of creating something and trying to balance the thirst for fame and money with the people how you treat the people around you and i think jesse eisenberg's performance 
is still as strong as ever. Andrew Garfield's performance is incredible too. Everyone is putting their all into this movie. Yeah, it doesn't ever feel like it's trying too hard, which a lot of biopics tend to feel that they're really, really, really trying to emphasize all of these certain qualities. Whereas this does that, but it's never so upfront where it becomes just nauseating or annoying to watch. Honestly, if you haven't seen The Social Network, must see. It got terribly snubbed at the Oscars in 2011. I believe it was the 2011 Oscars where the King's Speech beat it, which is just an absolute flub in my opinion. I think this is which I think that's also a biopic Loki, but this is obviously a much better one, at least in my opinion. And then just to speak quickly about The Wind Rises, it is a Studio Ghibli animated film by Hayao Miyazaki. I believe it was his last one actually to be released until How Do You Live, which is hopefully coming out soon, but it captures the life of Jiro Horikoshi, who is a Japanese engineer in World War II who designed planes for the Japanese army. And if you want to hear more about my thoughts again, they're they're on that episode, but it's just a beautiful tale that's visually stunning and just deeply affecting of the battle between creating something that you love, knowing that it will be used for something that you hate, as well as just a beautiful score from Joe Hishashi and honestly, the collision of everything that you would want in a movie. There's beautiful visuals, there's a lot of heart, and it doesn't hold back from exploring its themes in a very, very direct way that works entirely in its favor. Great film. I believe it lost the Oscar to Frozen. So this might be the Oscar snub category of biopics in this list because I think they both deserved what they were in contention for. So my next set, which is again, a pair of two movies, is actually both centered around Vincent Van Gogh is what ties these two films together. So there is 2018's At Eternity's Gate, which is Julian Schnabel's latest film, which he has not released anything since, which is sad. I hope he comes back. Even though this is actually, I think the only film of his I've seen, but it was so deeply affecting and I don't really know why because it does buy into a lot of the stereotypical tropes of biopics, but at the same time, it's driven by an incredible Willem Dafoe performance that was brutally snubbed that award season. I remember he was nominated for a lot, but I don't think he ever won. And it is kind of similar to The Wind Rises, where it's the struggle to create and be understood in a place that creativity and understanding aren't really that present. It's a very, very demanding film, very brutal. And I think the acting backs that up because it's just so tough to watch, yet also so difficult to look away from. And there's just so much craft in it from Schnabel's direction all the way down to just the technical qualities of it. Very, very moving film. And then at the same time, I believe Loving Vincent came out in 2017 or 2016. It was one of those two years. But I like to think about it as the opposite side of the same coin, whereas they both explore Vincent Van Gogh's troubled persona, but Loving Vincent does it in a much more distant way and non-assaulting so loving vincent is another animated movie which is a trend that is popping up on this list i've now realized but it is made up of sixty-five thousand hand-painted frames it explores a young man's investigation of van gogh in the final days of his life and because of that i think the narrative is a bit iffy whereas it doesn't really feel like it's going deep enough into the subject of van gogh and then feels a little lost in the process but it's honestly worth it just for watching how this animation is done and the fact thinking about how much craft has been put into this animation and it's just visually stunning these are two visually great movies obviously in very different ways but 
definitely a great, great... I wouldn't say a double watch now that I think about it because that's a lot of Van Gogh content to put up with in the span of four hours. But I would say two good films to consider together, how they interact with each other and then how they explore the life of Van Gogh in separate fashions. So my third point, which is now we're back to just single movies, is a film that I didn't imagine myself putting on this list, but I did find a very big list of biopics on Letterboxd and had to sort it by the ones I've watched, and this is on there. And I have placed it on here in honor of the Julia Child documentary that is coming out tomorrow called Julia, which is a, uh, not to talk about it too much here because I don't know how many theaters it's being released in, is a very stereotypical documentary, but a very interesting insight into a woman who's had such a big impact on American cooking and cooking shows. So this is Julie and Julia. It is Nora Ephron's dual faceted story of a young New Yorker who's angry with her job and decides to master all the recipes and mastering the art of French cooking. Julia Child's incredibly famous book and manuscript on food as art and looking to enjoy cooking for what it brings to you and not the fact that it's something that you just make and consume and get rid of instantly. There's a real art to it. And it pairs this story with a biopic of Julia Child and specifically her marriage to her husband, Paul, as well as her trying to come up in the cooking world. And for some reason, I find this to be a fall comfort movie. I don't know why. I just remember the beef bourguignon sequence looking very, very like warm because that's a very stewy dish. But it's Nora Ephron. It's very good vibes regardless, uh, even though not all of it works and it can sometimes feel a bit unbalanced. There's so much heart in it and it's just such a relaxed and calming time that still teaches you a lot about Julia Child in a way that does not feel like you're just being shoved facts about her and things that she went through in life. And rather you're experiencing it through the eyes of someone else, which is a very interesting framing device that always keeps the story running and doesn't feel like a cop-out into telling the story because the life of Julia, who's the young New Yorker, is so prevalent in the movie and is literally half of the movie. But definitely a movie I'd recommend and a very fun way of capturing a biopic. So my final movie is Marjan Satrapi's Paris Police, which is based off of her comic of the same name and tells the story of her coming of age and fleeing from Iran during the Iranian Revolution of 1979. Again, this is another animated film, but it uses its animation, which is entirely in black and white, in a very, very fascinating way. And in a sense, it's very hard to imagine the story if it was told in a live action format, which is very similar to The Wind Rises and then um, Neon's new animated documentary flea which comes out soon and has been mentioned as my top movie of 2021 so far which was back in june so things have maybe changed a little bit that's a hint at something coming up in season three but anyway it only does cover a slight portion of the comics because the comics do have multiple volumes but at the same time it's just a beautiful coming of age story telling a very specific story and exploring the idea of identity in a really 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 fascinating way and it honestly just gives more with the rewatch. I remember watching it a very, very long time ago and recently, and it definitely holds up. It's still brutally affecting and just beautifully told. And I think there's power to someone who lived the experience, not only writing the comic, but making the movie and telling her story in the way that captures her perspective in the fullest way possible. And I think that's an example of a biopic that really, really just does the job and works very beautifully. So 
Those are my six movies. Again, these are by no means comprehensive of all of the best biopics. These are just six that I think are definitely worth your time if you're looking for a good biopic and don't want to sink into a two and a half hour odyssey that gives you a sampler pack of someone's life instead of really focusing in and exploring something that hasn't really been explored yet in film, at least in my opinion. So I want to thank you guys for tuning into this shorter episode as we begin to wrap up season two. Next episode comes out in two weeks and that is the season finale. And I just want to thank you guys again for all the listens and support so far. As always, you can check out my reviews at cottagereviews.com or follow me on Instagram and Twitter at cottageatlinus. And I will see you guys soon in the screening room. Peace out.